Governor DeWine signs a bill into law that forbids vaccine mandates in public schools. When does it officially kick in and what does that mean for students and parents in Ohio? We're going to talk about that plus much more with Susan Keating Anderson and Katie Capers from the law firm of Retzel and Anders. I'm Lawrence Coletti and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for sharing part of your day and tuning in. We've got an interesting episode for you. But first, we need to thank our sponsor for supporting our show, Noda. Noda is powered by MT Bank because you went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no cost IELTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Visit trustnoda.com forward slash legal to learn more. And remember, that's Noda spelled N O T A terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's welcome our guests, Susan Keating Anderson and Katie Capers from the law firm of Retzel and Anders. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think the Retzel and Andrus law firm is becoming quite a tradition on Legal Talk today. You know, we've uh, talked with a few of your colleagues in the recent past here. We just had Jason Johnson talk about student loans. He's down in your Winter Park office in Florida. And of course, we had Donna Hardall and Jake Nicholson talk about cryptocurrencies. And so I think Jake's in your same office, Susan, down there in the Cleveland office. He is. He's a neighbor of mine, just a few doors down. Excellent. It was great. That, that, that show will air by the time this one airs, too. So they'll be on the air together here very shortly. But thank you for coming on. You know, um, Susan and Katie, I ran across your article in the National Law Review. You know, you guys, that firm of yours really knows how to write good articles. And it's titled HB 244 Prohibits COVID Vaccination Mandates in Ohio Public Schools. And so, you know, I honed in on that right away because, uh, you know, and this is sort of a reoccurring theme on the show. Been talking a lot about states flexing muscle. It seems like the uh, the federalism game is afoot again, and we're, we're we're transitioning into an era where the states are beginning to push back against the federal government. And as I learned in my constitutional law class in law school, it seems to be a pendulum that swings back and forth. So I think we're we're in this era where the states are going to start getting a little bit stronger now, and they're going to see a lot of uh, muscle flexing here. But uh, why don't we start with this? You know, Susan, I know you're a shareholder in the Cleveland office. There, why don't you tell us about your practice in a sentence or two? Sure. Thanks, Lawrence. So I am the head of Retzel and Andrus's education practice group, and I've been practicing for almost 20 years, which makes me feel kind of ancient. But in my practice, what I do primarily is I represent public boards of education in Ohio uh, in, you know, all kinds of issues that that boards of ed face. And, and that means not only do I represent the board of education itself, but I also work very closely with school district administrators in programming, personnel, and student-related issues. And that really can run the gamut of, of a whole lot of different things. Well, you, you say ancient, I say seasoned. <laughs> I like that better. I'll, I'll have to start using that. All right. Well, thank you, Susan. Well, Katie, let, let's hear uh, from you. Now, you're the Retzel Consulting Solutions Director. And so tell us about that position. You're not a lawyer, but uh, what are your responsibilities for the law firm? Yes, so I am one of several directors of Retzel Consulting Solutions. RCS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Retzel and Andrus, and we exist to provide solutions beyond legal advice to our clients. It's quite a few of the Retzel and Andrus clients who are receiving legal services, but also others who are who are not. I am in our Columbus office. I came to Retzel directly from the legislature as a legislative aide and clerk to one of the House committees. I worked for a chair chair of uh, one of the committees in the House who still serves now. My work at present is quite focused in the K-12 space. I represent the first-ring superintendents 
Collaborative, which is a group of 16 superintendents up here in Northeast Ohio, uh, as well as a variety of superintendents from other parts of the state. And I represent them in the state house and provide them with strategic counsel and other matters as well. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's always always fun to explain to attorneys exactly what our our lobbying and public law practice is doing. Well, it sounds like we've got a lot of firepower for the purposes of this episode. So I'm very pleased. Thank you. Let's get started on this uh, HB 244. Now, it's a law. Now, originally, it started as this bipartisan bill to help military families relocate and keep their kids entrenched in education while that was going on. But it was amended. It went through a process of evolution. So can we talk about that evolution process just a little bit before we get into the specifics? You're absolutely right. Uh, House Bill 244 started as a bipartisan bill to help military families during the relocation of their children as as Many of your listeners probably know it's very difficult for a child in a primary or secondary school to go from you know one school to the next. So just a little bit of background on the sponsors of this bill. So the, the bill was introduced on March 31st by Representatives Andrea White from Kettering, Ohio. She's a Republican from Kettering, Ohio, and uh, Representative Brian Lampton, who's a Republican from Beaver Creek. Both of those are just outside of Dayton, um, and it moved through the House fairly quickly, but Part of the explanation for the, their motivation for this bill, so Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is in Lampton, Representative Lampton and Representative White's House Districts, um, and there are Ohio military installations across the state that bring thousands of school-aged children um, to our state. So that was the motivation behind the original introduction. Like we've said, it's a, it was a bill to ease the transition for these children and military families when they were um, going from one school to the next. But as you know, eventually there were amendments that were created, which did far more and far different things than, than just talk about military families and the relocation of their K-12 kids. So at the time of introduction, March 31st of 2021, there were plenty of Democratic co-sponsors. So in the state of Ohio, in our state legislature, you can have up to two primary sponsors of a bill and you can have as many co-sponsors as you want. So we've got 99 members of the House of Representatives, 33 members in the Ohio Senate, and they had quite a few co-sponsors when the bill was originally uh, introduced, including quite a few Democrats, as you said. In the Ohio House, the, the bill passed, I think it was unanimously out of the Ohio House of Representatives. When it got over to the Senate, into the Primary and Secondary Education Committee, there were members of the committee who wanted to add uh, some language relating to schools. And this happened to be a good vehicle. We call it a legislative vehicle for that legislation. So it was amended. There were members, especially in the primary and secondary education committee in the Senate, who wanted to add language prohibiting uh, schools from requiring vaccinations for teachers, faculty, staff, and students. And ultimately, I think the best outcome for some of those legislators would have been to permanently ban any vaccination requirements. This was what was ultimately inserted into the bill was seen as a compromise uh, within the more conservative caucus. And as you can see now, anybody can go on the legislature's website, the Ohio legislature, it's legislature.ohio.gov and, and search for bills. There's not a single Democrat who's a, who remained as a, as a co-sponsor of this bill in its final form, which not only is, is going to help those military families as they're relocating, but it also does uh, change Ohio law in regards to mandates for vaccines, which have not been given full FDA approval. All right. So my, my next question uh, relates to these public schools and the vaccine mandates that that part of this HB 244. So, uh, Susan, can you give me just a quick flyby of what's in the law and what's going on right now? 
Sure. Relative to public schools and universities, HB 244 contains really two provisions. The first provision prohibits public schools and universities from requiring individuals to get a vaccine that does not have full FDA approval. And then the second provision prohibits public schools and universities from discriminating against individuals who have not received a non-fully approved FDA vaccine. And that prohibition includes a restriction against a school requiring an unvaccinated individual to either engage in or not engage in activities or precautions that are different from those available to vaccinated individuals. Okay, now I wouldn't build out that part with the vaccine approvals. And so let's say at some uh, some point in the near future here, one of the vaccines or all the vaccines get their final and full FDA approval. Does that mean the school can later require that students get those vaccines in advance? So that's kind of a loaded question. Okay, <laughs> what okay. I can say is under the, the strict letter of House Bill 244, if one of the COVID vaccines receives full FDA approval, then they, that vaccine would not fall under this prohibition. So yes, in theory, at least a public school district could then require that vaccine. But the, you know, the legal implications in a public school district in doing so are a little murky. And just given the controversy surrounding COVID-19 and the vaccination process, districts would be wise to tread carefully when they're considering, you know, mandating vaccines. Okay. Now that part about discriminating against the vaccinated and unvaccinated, what does that mean exactly? So what that effectively means is that, you know, a a public school cannot treat either staff members or students differently in their programming or in activities or precautions, which is a term specifically used in the bill, you know, depending on if they are vaccinated or not vaccinated. So for instance, what this means is, and once the bill is in effect, what this means is that a school district could not, for instance, say, require that only uh, students that have a vaccine participate in athletics. And I think even more importantly for districts, it also means that they cannot treat individuals that have been vaccinated differently than individuals that have not been vaccinated in terms of their masking policies or quarantining policies, social distance policies, and all of those things that districts you know, are looking at putting in into place for this upcoming school year. Now, I noticed that this law does not go into effect until October 13th. As soon as I read that, I'm like, October 13th seems a little late. That's after the start of the school year. So I guess in theory, could the schools mandate the vaccines until that October 13th deadline? Sure. I mean, certainly, again, you know, theoretically, a school district could mandate the vaccine prior to the effective date of the bill. And it's also, you know, I'd like to point out, it's also possible that, you know, one or more of the vaccines would receive full FDA approval before October 13th, which would also then take, you know, the vaccine out of the purview of the bill. So those are all possibilities, you know, for districts. However, again, that it, that would be a controversial issue. And so a school district that is thinking about doing so, you know, wants to tread carefully and wants to really consider the legal implications and certainly would want to get input from the school community and other stakeholders on implementing such a policy, you know, such as their employees, families, their labor unions, local officials, 
you know, to, to really vet what the impact of making such a requirement would be. You know, this October 13th deadline, you know, why why that date? You know, why not just say at the beginning of each school year for this year? It seems like that would keep this nice and clean. Now, you've got this wiggle room where, in theory, you know, school can start, go for, you know, several weeks, of, if not a month or more. And you've got this wiggle room between, uh, you know, parents that maybe don't feel comfortable getting their kids vaccinated. And now possibly they may not be able to go to school. So why leave it open ended until October 13th? So, Katie, I would toss that one to you because I believe that relates to kind of the legislative functions and and procedures. Katie, do you have insight on that? I do. So um, we discussed earlier that while the bill had almost unanimous support at the beginning, once the vaccine-related portions were amended in, it lost all support from the Democratic caucus in the House and the Democratic caucus in the Senate. Um, as well as some members of the Republican caucus, actually, who had supported it in its original form. There's a pretty high bar in Ohio for passing a bill with an emergency clause. So there weren't, there weren't enough votes to pass the bill with immediate effect. So the default setting in Ohio is for a bill to take effect 90 days after it is signed by the governor. And so that's the explanation for the, the lag here. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, it just comes down to sort of the parliamentary procedures here. So uh, my, my last couple of questions here are basically two different sides of the same basic question. And so if you're a school administrator out there and you see this coming up, and obviously there, there are strong opinions on both sides of this issue, where should these school administrators be checking in? You know, like what type of organizations, what kind of questions should they be asking before they proceed forward in their policymaking for this school year? Well, you know, I, I I feel for school administrators, you know, frankly, and, and boards of education in trying to navigate this because there are so many different moving parts. There are many organizations that have weighed in on COVID-19 policies and, and procedures, either through recommendations or guidance documents, you know, such as the CDC, the Ohio Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education. Um, so school administrators, I know, are paying attention to all of those guidance documents. And then, you know, they're also relying upon information and guidance uh, from state and local, you know, health department officials. And um, the the challenge that they have is, for instance, the CDC guidelines uh, that have been released, they contain different recommendations in terms of masking and quarantining policies, depending upon if you are vaccinated or if you're not vaccinated. So school districts are looking at having to, you know, essentially come up with a universal policy that is consistent for both vaccinated and unvaccinated once this bill is in effect because they can't treat them differently under HB 244. And this also means because the bill doesn't go into effect until October 13th, this also means that the district may start their school year with one policy in terms of masking and quarantining, and then they may have to adjust their sales come October 13th to apply those policies in a more consistent basis, you know, against the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. All right. Similar question, but this one for the home front. There's going to be some parents out there that are going to be concerned one way or the other. And if they are concerned, where should they turn to express those concerns? Well, so I'll 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 
tackle this first and then Katie, you know, certainly feel free to chime in um, if you'd like to do that. But in my work, I represent boards of education and I, uh, you know, certainly work closely with not only members of boards of education, but school district administrators. And, you know, as you can imagine, you know, since the pandemic hit in, uh, you know, early 2020, you know, a lot of my time has been filled up in advising school administrators and boards of ed on, you know, how to address COVID-19 issues um, and, you know, how to address the concerns of the school community and that sort of thing. And, you know, I have to say that by and large, school officials, you know, are very interested in hearing from their school community and their parents, and they're very responsive to concerns that are raised by parents and other members of the school communities related to, you know, COVID-19 and and the policies that are being implemented. So my first word of advice to parents would certainly be to reach out to, you know, either their building principal, the superintendent of the school, or, you know, the school board members to voice their concerns and allow, you know, their local school officials the opportunity to address those concerns. And, you know, I think most of the time they will be able to address those concerns in a way that is satisfactory to those parents. I just want to add here that in Ohio, our public school boards actually represent one of the largest groups of elected officials in the state. So they're charged with one of the most important responsibilities in government. They provide for those educational opportunities within K-12 schools in their district. Their meetings are public. They are managing and controlling a political subdivision. And so I, I would just encourage parents that Parents should feel empowered to communicate with school officials and school boards who ultimately approve these masking and vaccine policies. I would recommend, obviously, they do this in the most respectful way possible. Uh, Tensions can run high and it's a very personal issue, but they should also know that talking with other parents about concerns and presenting a united front, again, respectfully, is a pretty powerful method of advocacy. So, of course, locally elected school boards, they they didn't create the policy we're talking about now. They didn't create the state law. Um, the state legislature did. And it might go without saying, but parents should also remember that those elected officials who represent them and their children work for them. I might be prone to a, a disposition of encouraging advocacy because that's the work that I do every day. But this is a matter of changing the law if you don't like the law. And that happens when well-organized people get together and make their voices heard among the people who represent them. So if you're a parent in a state legislature or in a state where the state legislature is making laws that that you don't think are appropriate to govern the way that your child is learning, I would just really recommend you you engage with your state legislature. It, it's incredibly important to stay aware and to make your voice heard. It's it's your state government; they work for you, and uh, obviously, always help, happy to help folks in Ohio who have that interest. Yeah, the, the uh, mama and papa bear constituency is a very powerful one when it comes, comes to looking out Absolutely. for their kids. Well, Susan and Katie, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We know there are other podcasts out there, so we really appreciate the time you invest with us. And one more thank you to our sponsor, Noda. You can find them at trustnoda.com forward slash legal. And that's Noda spelled N-O-T-A. Thank you so much, Noda. And last but never least, thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN audio crew. Just like the late, great Rowdy Roddy Piper, they can both chew bubblegum and kick tail. This has been Legal Talk today. I'm Lawrence Cluddy. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.